All right, if you're turning with me in your Bibles, we're going to start in Galatians 5. If not, that's okay. We'll have it up on the, we'll have it up on the screen behind me. But I'm going to start in Galatians 5. And I just want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning about freedom. And I want you to know, like, as we start out and as we're going to talk for a few minutes about freedom and some different aspects of freedom and what freedom looks like. But you need to know that who you are is free. You are supposed to be free. You're called to be free. We're going to read some scriptures that tell us that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that he has set us free, Paul said in Galatians. So there's this false freedom message that says, oh, I'm free, I'm free, I can just do whatever I want to do. That's, that's what freedom is, is I just run around and do whatever I feel like doing. I'll just follow my feelings, and that's real freedom. And that's not real freedom. That's not biblical freedom is to just run around doing whatever you feel like. Actually, you could get yourself in some serious trouble doing that. See, that's not a real freedom that can actually put you in bondage. If you're running around just doing whatever you feel like and running from anything that's hard or challenging. You see, these people that, that think that's freedom, they live unhappy lives full of bondage and bitterness and usually a lot of negativity. They say, don't judge, but they judge. You know those kind of people? Now, I know it's not any of y'all. I'm sure it's none of you, but, you know, that kind of person. They say, love everyone, but then they don't. And really, we're all supposed to love everyone. We're all supposed to love each other. That's what freedom would look like. But do you know if you don't love yourself, then you can't love others well? If you don't like you and, and you hadn't figured out how to be okay with you, then it's going to be really challenging for you to love other people well. You have to love yourself. You, Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself, but if you don't love yourself, then... That's not too much. So you have to love yourself and you have to know that you are free. You're called and you're chosen and God has a purpose and a plan for your life. I heard this story about um, these people that were going down and, and they went to go feed this homeless man and was living up under the bridge and they said he looked pretty rough and so they gave him some food and he was very grateful. And, and so the man started talking to him and said, hey, you know, I don't want to pry, but what's your story? You want to talk or, you know, how'd you end up down here in this place? It's starting to get cold and we see you're homeless. So how'd you end up here? And the guy said, man, believe it or not, everything's changed in the last month. He said, last month I had a roof over my head. I had freshly ironed clothes. I had cable, Wi-Fi, a gym had the library right down. I had full health benefits. They're like, what in the world happened to you? Was it like, was it COVID and take your job and knock you down? Or, or was it an addiction? Like, were you addicted to alcohol or some kind of drugs? Or was it a bad divorce and, and she took everything from you? Like, what was it? And he said, no, I got released from jail. 
You see, freedom is not so much about our surroundings and our circumstances. Freedom is more inside our head. If freedom is who you are, then it doesn't matter. Paul the Apostle teaches us that when he was locked up in prison, he was still free. Why? Because his freedom wasn't dependent on the people around him or on his circumstances. He knew that his freedom was inside and that Jesus paid for his freedom. Freedom. Sometimes we sit in our situations, in our marriage, in our job, at our church, even in ministry, wanting freedom rather than finding the freedom in the situation. But I want to tell you today before we start reading some scriptures that sometimes the freedom you are wanting, it turns out to be lots of work. We get this false idea that Freedom is just, yay, I'm free and I don't have to work. But a lot of times, you got to work. You got to work for it. I want freedom from my job. Yeah, I hate, you know, the restraints of my job. I want freedom from my job. Well, guess what? Freedom from your do- job doesn't mean you just get to lay on the couch in your underwear from now on. Right? When you quit your job and you start a business or you move into that next season, it's probably going to be even more work. Sometimes freedom looks like work. Ask a small business owner how that freedom is. In fact, most of the time, freedom looks like work. Freedom isn't free. Faith is the down payment on your land, on your future. And faithfulness is the monthly note. God calls us to a future and God lays something on our heart and a dream and and we have to have the faith to step out but then faithfulness, obedience that we don't stop, we faint not, we don't give up that's like paying the monthly note that's how we stay in the game is we stay faithful and we stay obedient and we keep doing what he tells us to do we keep doing the next right thing That's what obedience is, is a slow and steady walk in the same direction. And we keep moving forward. You know, the children of Israel, God's people, they were slaves for 400 years in Egypt. And God sent Moses and they sent the plagues and God did these miracles and set them free and they were in the wilderness and and they started complaining. Oh, I wish we were back in Egypt because at least we had... You know, three square meals a day. At least they fed us. I wish we could just go back to slavery and getting mad. They started complaining. Why? Because freedom didn't look exactly like they thought it was going to look. At that moment, it looked hard. It was a journey through the desert, through the wilderness, to get to the promised land that God had for them. To get to the future that God had for them. They had to walk through some stuff. Do the hard things. We talk about freedom, but too many of us don't like the weight of freedom. We don't like the responsibility of the choices we make. It creates stress and anxiety. Freedom demands that you grow up. 
you can't stay immature. You can't stay a baby. Freedom demands that you grow up. I think about my household. Malachi is my oldest son. He's 19 years old. Sky in the back is my youngest son, and he's 13 years old. Guess what? Malachi has more freedom than Sky. Malachi can come and go as he pleases more than Sky. Right? He can do more things than Sky can do. For instance, if we're at the house and Malachi says, Hey, Dad, can I take your truck up to the church? I need to use it for a few minutes. I would say, Sure. If we're at the house and Sky, my 13 year old, says, Hey, Dad, can I take your truck? I will say, No. No, you cannot. Could he make it? Probably. Yeah, but he's not mature enough to handle that much power. So as a good father, I discern that he can't handle the power of my truck and he could hurt himself and or other people and my truck. And so my answer for him is no. Not that he could never drive it. Right, what is it? Once he grows up a little more, once he gets mature, once he has a driver's license, sure. Because I, I don't love him less than I love Malachi. But Malachi is a little older. He's a little more mature. He's taken a driver's test. He's proven himself. He's totaled his own truck, so now he knows not to do it to mine. freedom demands that we grow up. Paul said, when I was a child, I reasoned like a child. I was immature. I reasoned like a child. You know how a child reasons? A child thinks like what I want, I want it now. What feels good now? Like, okay, bring a little kid up here and ask him, what do you need to last you? What do you want for lunch? They take a bag of candy every day. They just think about what feels good, what tastes good, what I want right now in this moment. Paul goes on to say, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Right? I began to reason like a man or an adult. How does an adult reason? We have to be able to put our feelings aside and think about how this will affect my future. See, I have to know that if I eat candy every meal like I wanted to when I was a kid, then I'm going to be very unhealthy and very overweight, and it's not a good thing. So even if I want to eat it every meal... I shouldn't. Freedom demands that we grow up to walk in our future and our inheritance and all the blessings that God has for us. We got to grow up. Got to start to reason like an adult. The sad thing is that in our culture and in modern American Christianity, we we don't tolerate biblical and theological and spiritual maturity. It's kind of weird when I think about churches and, and Christians and stuff. Like, we're pretty okay with being mediocre. In fact, it's kind of intimidating when some young person, if they got on fire for God and started studying the Bible and inviting people to church and witnessing and, and loving people and, and giving and giving in the offering and then what would be said in most churches most Christian circles 
Oh, he must be a pastor. He's, going, he's called to be a pastor. Honestly, he's just doing what we're all called to do as Christians. But rather than be convicted by one person being what Christians are supposed to look like and walking in their freedom, it's easier to say, oh, well, then he just should be a pastor because he gets paid to do it. So, of course, he knows more about the Bible and he studies. Of course, he reads his Bible every day. That's easier than feeling the conviction of, hmm, maybe we're not all walking in what God has. It's hard to watch people take their land or walk in freedom and slay their giants when you aren't willing to. There's no other area that we would accept mediocrity not in sports or music or dance or even on most jobs like I'm a little baby okay that's fine I'm a 40 year old baby not fine anymore right like now it's time to start growing up like I'm gonna need you to start using the bathroom on your own you're we're growing you're supposed to be maturing so why don't we do it in spiritual things? Okay, just something as simple as, I know people that say they've been a Christian for 40 years. Just something as simple as reading your Bible every day. If you've read your Bible every day for 40 years, you should be an expert. If I read Dr. Seuss books every day for 40 years, I would be considered an expert on Dr. Seuss. I'd have it memorized. I could sit down and tell it to a kid without even looking at it. I could apply it to my life. I could tell you what he said about this or that. Like, what? seriously, think about it. If you applied five to ten minutes a day to you name it, in 30 or 40 years, if you're still the same place you are today, something's like, you're lying. Let's keep growing. Let's not settle for bondage. Let's not settle for where we are. Let's keep moving forward. Let's keep gaining ground. Let's not decide that where we are is enough. Because the minute we decide to settle is the minute we stop gaining ground. We can't be afraid of the responsibility of growth, freedom, and maturity. So sometimes the freedom you're wanting turns out to be lots of work. You ever heard people say the grass is always greener on the other side? It's true, and, and a lot of times it is. We raise pigs, and if you look at our pig pen, it ain't green. There's no grass left in there. So that saying is true. If I'm standing in my pig pen and looking over at the neighbor's yard, the grass is greener on the other side. But guess what? I have pork chops in the freezer. <laughs> I don't care about green grass. <laughs> Stop trying to do something to be free. Who you are is free. If you can see God, then he will remind you who you are. And then you'll know what you must do. If you know who you are, then circumstances and situations and storms and other people and sin 
they don't control you anymore because you're free. They can't take that from you. Freedom isn't found in a bottle or in pills or in pornography or anywhere. Freedom is found inside of you. You're a son and a daughter of the king. Got to remember who you are. Paul said, will you be enslaved again? Galatians 5, I don't, we didn't read Galatians 5, did we? Galatians 5 verse 1 says, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. He's made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The Message Bible words it like this. Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Stand up. Don't, don't waste the freedom is what Paul's saying. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. You are free. You're called to be free. I promise you got that in that video. next four or five years and that's fair but I'm here and I'll be here for at least the next four or five years and that's fair I betrayed the public trust I did that's how the judge explained it to me I had betrayed the public trust the FAA they took away my pilot's license and that's fair. My chances of ever flying again are slim to none. And I accept that. I've had a lot of time to think about it, all of it. Been doing some writing. I wrote letters to each of the families that had lost loved ones and Some of them were able to hear my apology. Some of them never will. I also apologize to all the people that tried to help me along the way, but I couldn't or wouldn't listen. People like my wife. My ex-wife. son and again like I said you know some of them will never forgive me some of them will but at least I'm sober I thank God for that I'm grateful for that and this is going to sound real stupid coming from a man who's locked up in prison but for the first time in my life, I'm free. Freedom, just like I was talking about Paul a few minutes ago, that freedom's not found in your circumstances. Like, I love that clip where at the end, you know, it said, 
but at least I'm sober. He's locked up in jail, but for the first time in his life, he's free. Freedom. It's inside here. Even though I'm in prison, I'm free. Look at 2 Corinthians. Look at something else. Paul wrote a lot about freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.13 says this. And not as Moses, which put a a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where that word is freedom. There's liberty. There is freedom. In uh, John 8, 32. John said, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You have a story inside of Jesus. And anything you write outside of that story is fiction, is fake. God says he can work all things together for your good. Anything you've been through, anything that you've walked through, he can work it together for your good. Back in 2 Corinthians, that that verse we just skipped from, I was going to read you verse 18 to the next verse down. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass. That word was, it was translated glass there, but the word is mirror. Beholding as in a glass or a mirror, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So when we look at God, we remember who we are. That's how we're transformed and changed from glory to glory. When we look in a mirror and remember who we really are. You were created in God's image. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ. Think about that. It, it, just that, that first little line there. If any man be in Christ. See, Colossians 1.27 is a pretty famous scripture that we like to quote in church. And it's the one that says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Right, So that Christ or Jesus comes to live in your heart and live inside of you. And that's the hope of glory that God would be seen in the world. Is Christ in you. But here, Paul's saying that if you want to walk in the new that God has for you. Like you want to walk in this new life and in your future and in your freedom. If you want to walk in that, then you've got to be in Christ. Not just Christ in you. You got to be in Christ. 
Think about being in a pool. There's a big difference if I have a bottle of water sitting here and I drink it and the water's in me, Christ in you. The water in me is the hope of hydration. Right? But if you jump in a swimming pool, now I'm in the water. That's a big difference. And you know what it does? It changes everything. If I jump in a pool, it changes the way I look. It changes the way I can move. Think about it. It changes the way I breathe. It changes everything, and it affects every part of me. My whole body gets wet. Changes everything. So, so think about that as we read this verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, every area of his life is affected by Christ. You run everything in your life through the filter of Christ. He is what? A new creature. So if I will be in Christ, submerged in Christ, run everything in my life through the filter of Jesus, of Christ, of the anointing, then I will be made new. He is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We are being transformed from glory to glory. How we just read it? By looking in a mirror. That's how we're transformed. We're about to see it again in another place. But I, I read this story about this girl. And so I'm just going to tell you very briefly part of her story. If you want to hear it, you can go look it up. She wrote a book called, the name of the book is A Girl With No Name. It's the name of the book that she wrote about herself. But this little girl, she was kidnapped when she was four years old and taken deep into the jungle. Her parents had no idea where she was. No one did. And the kidnappers left her in the middle of the jungle without going into too many details. And she was just pretty much left to die. A four-year-old little girl way back in the jungle. Three days, she survived without food and water. And she was starving and thirsting. And a bunch of monkeys saw her. This is a true story. Don't be like waiting for a punchline. It's a true story that happened to this girl. And some monkeys started coming around, and she made friends with the monkeys, and they showed her. She followed them and learned how to climb trees and where they got water and what they ate, and she ate what they ate. And she says, monkey see, monkey do. She started doing everything they did. They climb a tree. She tried until she learned how to climb the tree. They'd swing on a vine. She'd try until she learned how to swing on a vine. And this little girl lived in the deep jungle for 10 years with the monkeys. So at 14 years old, she just thought she was a monkey. She didn't even remember what had happened or where she came from and she tells this in her book like that she really thought she was a monkey and one day she was climbing up a tree and she saw something shiny in the edge of the jungle like the sun hitting something shiny and she was curious <clears throat> like all monkeys are except she wasn't a monkey but you know she thought she was and she went to it 
And she tells the story that she went over to it because it was shining and she didn't know what it was. And she looked in it and it was some kind of hole with a creature in it. And she jumped back scared and her curiosity wouldn't let her leave it alone. And she went back and it turns out it was a mirror. That someone had come in the jungle and dropped a mirror, been camping, or somehow a small mirror was in the jungle. And once she realized it wasn't a hole and there wasn't a creature in it or anything, and she picks up the mirror and looks and finally realizes that's her own reflection. And she says in the book that it was at that moment she realized she's not a monkey. I'm something different. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, as we look in a mirror and we behold who we really are. Right? When we look in the mirror and we see God, we're created in the image of God, our creator. And so from that moment on, she started realizing I'm not like them. That's why I don't have a tail. That's why I don't like, I don't look like them. I'm not them. And then one day, Within a year of that, she saw some hunters in the jungle. And she went to them. And of course, they were like, what in the world? And brought her out of the jungle. And she began to remember things, start to vaguely remember things about when she was four years old and kidnapped and her family. Now, she, she went on to lead a great normal life and she got married and had kids and now she's a grandma and she says her favorite thing to do is to climb trees with her grandchildren which <laughs> I guess she's still pretty good at it but for 10 years she thought she was a monkey she just fit into the culture around her she just did what everybody else around her was doing they did it she did it they ate bugs off each other, she ate bugs off of them. Whatever it was. And I believe for somebody in the service today, there's a mirror in your jungle. That's what church is supposed to be. So we come to church and we look in the mirror and we remember who we are. We remember that we're sons and daughters. And we remember who God says we are, not who other people have said we are. And we remember our worth and our value when we look into that mirror and we behold ourselves created in the image of the Creator, God. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Like you're going to need God's help. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Just give Him what you have. He doesn't want what you don't have. God never requires of you something that you don't have. He just asks you to give what you have. And nothing that you give God is ordinary. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. 
and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. God wants you to grow up. God wants you to walk in all that he has for you. He wants to be able to give you the power, to give you the keys to his truck, to let you drive and go places that you could never go on your own. So give him your life, even the things that you think are ordinary. Give it to him. James 1.22 says this. This was Jesus' brother who wrote this. Look what he says about the mirror. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Like we're in here today hearing a word. We're going to hear different things and God's going to speak to us all in different ways and give us things that we can do. He says... Not here is only deceiving your own selves, or you're cheating yourself. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass or a mirror. He's like somebody looking in the mirror. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. He looks in the mirror and walks away and forgets what he looks like. Forgets who he is. But whoso liketh unto the perfect law of liberty or freedom, remember that's what we're talking about, and continueth therein. Right? You have to continue walking in your freedom. It's the faithfulness. It's paying the monthly note. It's walking in obedience. It's doing the hard things over and over and over, even if we don't see instant results. Continueth therein. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. So James uses this example of the mirror. And and we can look at it and say, well, that's ridiculous. Who looks in a mirror and then walks away and forgets who they are or what they look like? But when I think about my life, my greatest moments of sin or my greatest moments of failure it's when I forgot who I was that's when I forgot what I'm called to be it's when I forgot who I am who are you results don't tell you who you are circumstances shouldn't tell you who you are people don't tell you who you are Jesus does That's where you get your worth. Your value comes from Him. So see Him. Look in the mirror. Come to church. Get in His presence. Pay the price. Pray. Read the Bible. He he hears you. Get around people that help you see Him. Surround yourself with people that help you grow. I thought I was a pretty spiritual dude when I was a teenager. And then I got married. And she showed me a lot of areas I could improve. (laughs) A lot of areas I could be a better man. 
So I fixed all of those and then I was perfect again. Understand I'm joking. I did work on those and got better. And then I started having kids. And I realized there's a whole lot of other things I need to work on. (laughs) And that's part of it. And we keep growing and we keep learning. And guess what? There's still a lot of things I need to learn. In parenting and in fathering and in pastoring. And none of us are there yet. We're all on a journey. And we're all helping each other to get better every day. All of us. We're growing and learning and moving forward. And it's a beautiful thing because it's how we were created. To connect and to help each other. I'm still growing. And when you look in the mirror, let it reveal areas that you're not free. That can happen. When you look in the mirror, you look in there and see some areas where you're not free. When you look in the mirror and notice your hands cuffed to a pole back there, and you think, hey, that's God revealing to you an area in your life that you need freedom. He paid for your freedom, and He wants you to be free. And so when you look in that mirror, when you come to church, and when you listen, and when you allow God to show you these areas, you're going to look in the mirror from time to time. You're going to see an area and think, yep, I'm in bondage right there. Yep, I've got an addiction right there that I need, to, I need to kick it. It's not helping. It's hurting me. It's keeping me from growing. It's slowing me down. There's an area I need, to, I need to get free. So when you look in the mirror, sometimes it will reveal areas that you're not free. And can I tell you, don't waste your time blaming it on other people. When you see an area that you're not free, that you're in bondage, that you're addicted, that you're, you're not walking in the freedom that God has for you, it's an absolute waste of time to blame it on other people, even if it was somebody else's fault. I'm not, I'm not saying that you're never going to have areas in your life where you're not free. Yeah, it could have been someone else's fault. It could have been some kind of abuse. It could have been something that was done to you that you had no choice. It could. So I'm not saying it was your fault, but what I'm saying is if you waste all your time blaming it on somebody else, you're not getting free. You're not healing. You're not moving on. You're not moving forward. So just don't even go there. Don't waste your time blaming it on somebody else because who you are is free. You're called to walk in that freedom. The great scholar, Michael Jackson, said, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. (laughs) I was going to sing that for you all, but I spare you. (laughs) I'm going to close by reading you two verses in John 20. John 20, verse 15 and 16. And we'll be done. This is after Jesus died on the cross. He went and took the he, the keys, the he's. He went and took the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and he rose from the dead. But he hadn't revealed himself even to the disciples yet. And Mary, who was one of his closest supporters, closest followers, Mary was there searching for Jesus, and she was crying and she was upset, and and she thought that somebody had stolen Jesus' body. And Jesus was there. Look at verse fifteen. 
I want to point that out that she thought Jesus was gone, but he was there. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And why are you crying? Whom seekest thou? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. She said, I'm just looking for Jesus. Please, if you're the one that took him, I, I won't cause any trouble. Just tell me where you put the body. Verse 16, and Jesus said unto her, Mary, he called her by name. Jesus said unto her, Mary, and she turned herself. She turned and looked at him like she wasn't even paying attention to Jesus. She wasn't even turned towards Jesus. And when he called her name, she turned her countenance toward Jesus. And she said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. And Jesus goes on to call her and give her purpose. And he sent her out before he even sent the disciples out. Like she was the first one he called to share the good news of the resurrection. He said, go tell all the disciples and make sure you tell Peter because he's struggling. Like specifically, make sure Peter hears. I'll come back for Thomas or any other dudes that we miss but make sure tell the disciples and Peter and she goes out Mary didn't even recognize Jesus why because he didn't look like she thought he would it looked a little different than what she was thinking sometimes when you're looking for Jesus it might not look exactly like you thought Sometimes Jesus might look like somebody you weren't expecting. Sometimes when you encounter Jesus, it might happen in a little church in Waco that you may not have been looking for him. Or you may have been looking for him but didn't think he was going to look like that. Jesus didn't look like she thought he would. But then he called her by name. she knew this morning I got up here about 4.30 and I walked through this room and I prayed for you and I thought about all the people that would be here today all of you guessed who might show up today or who would be here some of y'all have your regular seats, so I, I kind of knew where you'd be sitting. And, and I felt like God said, count the seats. And I was like, what? Why? Like, it's not like it's going to be full. What's the point? And I just, you know, felt that little whisper, count. So I just started counting. I was right, right over there, and I just started counting counting chairs and and some of the numbers like stuck out four and 57 and 42 I'm like what's this why am I counting chairs I was just going to pray over who would be in here 
God, why did you tell me to count? Why are some of these numbers sticking out? And I felt like God said, that's the ones I'm going to call by name today. And one will remember who they are. Is it worth it? Yeah. See, we like to count by tens and twenties and hundreds and, and thousands. And God counts in ones. He's such a good shepherd that he said he would leave 99 and go after just one. A one. He's calling somebody's name today. I feel like he's calling a lot of your names today and he's reminding you who you are and who he's called you to be and how valuable you are and how much you're worth. And I believe we've all looked in a mirror today. We've seen our God and some of us have seen some areas that we're not free some of us have remembered how valuable we are and who we are. And we've all gotten a call once again to grow up a little bit more. To get a little more mature. So that we can handle a little bit more that dad wants to give us. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for meeting us where we are. Thank you for just giving us life and placing breath in our lungs and giving us one more day. Help us to not just be hearers, but to be doers of your word. To not just hear it and let it go in one ear and out the other, but that we would walk it out. God, help us to apply it to our lives. We love you. We thank you for grace and mercy. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.